So if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, whether that's uh, a device or if you have a scripture in, in front of you, I, I want to encourage you to turn to Psalm 124 and invite you to Psalm 124. It's a, it's a short psalm. Um, as we have been seeing over the past few weeks through these psalms that were being, again, sung on their journeys. Um, and there's this one line in this psalm, and you'll see it right at the beginning, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. I cannot tell you, I was last night, for some reason, just could not sleep. I think I had too much caffeine right before bed. I don't know if you've ever done that. Like, all of a sudden, it was like 2 a.m., and I still can't sleep. And I'm like, what is going on? And then, and it, and you know how it increasingly gets worse? This line, God just kept putting, because I mean, I knew I was going to be preaching, obviously. But for the past about two weeks, this line has just been on my mind over and over again. I don't know how many, I've probably said it over a hundred times in my head or out loud. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Uh, and it got me thinking. So the funny thing is, though, I, I, you know, I've mentioned this already, a little bit of an addiction. I don't know if it fully is an addiction, but it might be. It probably is. You know, first thing is... Um, is just recognizing you have a problem. And I know I have a problem with Twitter. Uh, I, I, I read too much on Twitter, and like halftime, you know, it's like it's a bunch of garbage. Um, but you might have heard Elon Musk is, was going to buy Twitter, and then now he's trying to back out of this massive billion-dollar, I mean, multi-billion-dollar deal. And I saw that he had tweeted a picture um, this, the, uh, I think it was like a week or two ago, he, sent a, he put, put a picture because he's trying to go to battle with the Twitter executives and all that stuff as he's trying to back out. And he put a picture, and it just reminded me of a person I hadn't seen in so long. And it was a picture of Chuck Norris. <laughs> Do you know who Chuck Norris is, first of all? Surely, at this point, everyone knows who Chuck Norris is. But just in case, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about him, just really briefly. But I don't want that to distract you too much. <laughs> so don't, like, if you're, especially if you're looking at Scripture on, God, on, the, on a device, don't start looking up jokes, by, <laughs> jokes about uh, Chuck Norris. But uh, he had this picture that Elon Musk had shared, and it was this picture of, of Chuck Norris sitting across the table playing chess, and here he has his little pawn <laughs> by himself, and the, uh, and the opponent had everything in front of him, and he was, and Elon was trying to say, basically, it's like Chuck Norris playing chess here. I'm going to dominate you, even if I only have one pawn, and it got me thinking. Of course, that led me down a rabbit trail of Chuck Norris jokes, and so I'm only going to give you four because I don't want to distract you too much, but they were just too good, uh, so I don't know if you've heard, but Chuck Norris makes onions cry. I don't know if you've heard that one before. He, that's one, I, I love that one for some reason. It's like Chuck Norris, he even makes onions cry. Another one I came across was Chuck Norris can kill two stones with one bird. <laughs> so that was pretty good. Another one he said was, uh, another one about him is scientists say our universe is constantly expanding. It's actually running away from Chuck Norris. So that one was pretty good. And then the last one, because I love Waldo, he says Chuck Norris is the reason why Waldo is hiding. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I mean, I've, I don't know, I've seen way too many of those, and so I'm sure this week you're going to text me a few or something that your, your favorites maybe, um, but I hope more importantly you'll text me some scripture, even from this passage, uh, as we look at God's word. So I'm going to pray uh, as we look at this, because what we're going to see is where are, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, we're going to look at it from a different angle this week, where our help comes from and what that looks like. You know, you might, people might want Chuck Norris on their side, but Chuck Norris is also 82 years old. Uh, I don't know if anymore, maybe, maybe he still got it. You know, I don't know. That's what people say. Um, but but it, what it's like to have the Lord on your side this morning. So let me pray uh, before we look at this great passage of Scripture. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. We thank you for Scripture. We thank you that it is, is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And as already has been prayed, um, we pray that your spirit would move in and through the, the communication and the looking at your word, God, we recognize and we declare this is your word. 
I pray that these truths from this short psalm would just resonate in our hearts, or maybe it would lead us to be restless, uh, because maybe we are not seeing that the Lord is on our side. Maybe we haven't received the Lord so that He is actually on our side. Maybe we're opposed to the Lord, an enemy of God right now. Maybe we're doing lip service when we come together. Maybe for different reasons, maybe, God, I pray that today we would see where our help actually lies, and if it wouldn't be for you, what our lives would be like. And so, Father, help us, help us to listen uh, with attentive hearts, God, ready to change, ready to be willing to rest in you, to find our hope in you, and our help lies uh, in the Lord. And so we thank you so much uh, for Scripture, and we ask you that you'll bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have a Bible there, I want us to read this together. Psalm 124 says this. It's a psalm, a song of ascents of David. So David, the king of Israel, writing this psalm. He says this, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. So it's like, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now he's like, all right, let Israel say. Let's collectively say this together. And he says this, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, he goes on to say, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, the context of this psalm, most agree that this, obviously, it tells us from, the, from the, just the opening, it says it's a song of a sense of David. So David being the author of this song, and what most would agree on is that this probably falls in the context of about 2 Samuel 5, and really the events of David first becoming king of Israel. And if you, even if you're not super familiar, which I'm sure some of you aren't super familiar with scripture, and you're still trying to learn some of the stories and figure out like, what is this, all these, you know, you've heard stories about David and Goliath or Samson and, and these things, but like, how does that connect to the whole of scripture and the redemptive plan of God? Well, one of those stories you might have already heard of was probably David and Goliath, right? I mean, I think most people, whether they believe in God or even have ever even attended a church, maybe have heard a little bit about David and Goliath because most people talk about like whether it's just in sports, you know, the, the David, con- like the, the little old tiny school defeating this big powerhouse and it being like a D- David versus Goliath matchup in the, in the March Madness or in the playoffs or whatever. And so people have heard that story, but David was just this young little boy. And then here he goes and, and no, everyone else around, the whole army of Israel is terrified of Goliath and their army, the army of the Philistines. This, this, this was going to be a nation that was going to continue to just be a pest to the people of Israel and people of God. And David became someone, he shows up, he's bringing lunch for his brothers who were in the military, and then he shows up and he hears this giant of a man mocking and making fun of, not just them, but mocking and making fun of God. And he hears this and he's like, why isn't someone doing something? 
Because I believe David already had these, these thoughts about the Lord in, in his heart already, even before Goliath, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Because he understood the Lord was on their side. Who can stand against us? If the Lord is on our side, who can't? And so the rest of the army is like, I mean, we're not beating that guy. I don't want to go be killed by this guy. But David goes, right? And what happens? He takes his little stones, takes his sling, and he slings, and he kills this massive giant, this great warrior as this young little young boy. Well, the events here, what happened is those this, David's life was filled with just chaos early on because Saul was the king. Our kids are actually learning this story today uh, about Saul and his sin and what ended up being God stripping the kingdom from him and his family. And Saul was the very first king of Israel. So to give you a little history on Israel, he's the very first king of Israel. And Saul had sinned. He had done something. God had told him exactly what to do, and he did not follow his instructions. He went his own way in some decision-making. And God said, you're not going to be the king. Your family is not going to... The, the, the kingdom and the lineage of your family is going to end here as the king. And so what happens is David become, ends up being the anointed one who's going to be king. Well, Saul's still king, and Saul knows about this, and so he is pursuing David, and David feels like he's constantly at war. People are against him, and even as he becomes king, eventually Saul uh, dies, <clears throat> and David is instilled as the king, and one of the very first things, and I want you to see this. If you have your Bible, turn there just really quickly. It's just back a little bit. If you're not still familiar, you can go to the, the content section, but back just a few pages, and you'll get to 2 Samuel chapter 5. In 2 in Samuel chapter 5 is the events just right as he's anointed as king. And look at verse 10. I think this is such a strong statement about David early on in his reign. In 2 Samuel 5, 10, it says this, And David became greater and greater. Like, all right, David's this awesome guy. I mean, he's killed a giant. And we've, we've heard stories, if you've heard the stories, I mean, he's, he's killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. Like, he's a, a shepherd, and he's the kind of, if you're a sheep, you want to be... You want him to be your shepherd. He's going to protect you. He's going to, put, he's going to put you first. And he's now the king. And so he's become greater and greater. And isn't it easy, right, when things are going really well in your life, to let pride come in, to not be humble, to think that, man, I deserve because I've earned this. I've worked hard for this life that I have. And so you would think that David would be that way because David, it says, he became greater and greater. But notice what it tells us in the next words in 2 Samuel 5.10. David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. You see, the God of hosts was with David. And if you skip down just a few verses, we get to verse 22, and it tells us what's happening. I mean, he's just become king. In verse 22 of 2 Samuel 5, it says, The Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Uh, go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam tree. And right before that, he had said, he'd inquired the Lord, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go forward? And he said, yes, go. So David goes and he defeats the Philistines. And just a few, a few, a few days later, maybe we don't know how much time is in between these verses, but when we get to verse 22, he again inquires the Lord and the Lord says, no, you go around. And he actually listens and he goes around. He does what the Lord says and God delivers him and gives him the victory yet again. But over and over again in his kingdom, and even before becoming king, he was surrounded by constant enemy 
and struggle. And so look back at Psalm 124, and I want, you can see it here, and this will be kind of our, our it's a simple, super simple outline uh, for us this morning. It's really just two main points, and we're going to talk briefly about it, and then I want us to look, um, go to the table together, um, preparing our hearts for um, looking and reminding ourselves of the cost of our salvation in Christ alone. So looking at this verse, um, look at, really just look at this first section. This is in your notes. If you have a pen, you can write this down. What life, this is what what we see in these first sections, verses one through five, is what life apart from from God's help looks like. Very simply, what what life looks like apart from the Lord's help. Look at what, what what David is declaring. He's saying, if it had not been for the Lord, here's what would have happened. If God wasn't on our side, if we were, if God wasn't with us, as we were just seeing in 2 Samuel 5, here's what he says. Listen to what he says in verse 2. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, notice what he says. He says, they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you were drowning? Like you, have you ever felt like you were just drowning? Like, like, I don't think I can endure this trial anymore. Like, I am at my wit's end. I cannot go any further. Or have you felt like you've had just an actual enemy? Maybe, maybe it's a relational conflict that goes back years or maybe decades. Or maybe it's a, a family issue where there's just this constant struggle. And it, it ultimately, if you've ever experienced something like this, it feels like you're drowning. Like, or you're like stuck in quicksand. Like, I can't get away from this. Like, I can't get away. I can't get out. Everywhere I go, I feel like, man, I run into that same issue. Or if I try to go this way, I run into that same issue. David is saying, I feel that. I, and I have felt that. But he, what he notices and what he's declaring, though, is if it hadn't been for the Lord, this is what would it have been like. And here's, here's some reality. Maybe there's some circumstances in your life where it feels very hopeless. Have you ever felt that before, where you just felt like hopeless, like you were running out of options? Like you're, 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 you're going about your life, you're doing different things, and then like you come to a decision or a difficulty, a trial, uh, maybe it's a relational conflict, or maybe it's like with, with kids or with your children, and you're just like, man, I just, I want my kids to turn out right, or I just, I wish that I could get this promotion, or I wish I could have this, and you want all these things, or you, and even some of them are good desires, but yet it's just not happening. And you're like, why God? And you, it, make, it maybe leads to questions. Or maybe you start to feel hopeless. And you feel like you're drowning. This is what the psalmist is declaring. He's saying what life apart from God's help looks like is that we not just would feel like we're drowning, we would drown. And, not, and, and what, what we understand from this is when we reread scripture, when you study scripture, we want to take it very literally, like a literal interpretation of scripture. But obviously there's times where we recognize that the psalmist is using uh, descriptive language to c- come, get across a point. He's not literally saying that like the enemy was trying to drown us, like they're pouring water on us and trying to drown us, or they're using fowlers, they're using uh, traps to catch us. No, that's not, he's using descriptions to describe what it's like with a, a life apart from God's help. And he says, it's hopeless. Look at, look at Psalm 33. So just back a little bit in your Bible there again. Psalm 33. Again, listen to uh, what um, the psalmist says here in verse 33 
uh, verse 17. He says, the war, ho- the war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. I mean, he's describing what it's like to rely on something. I mean, how many of us do that, right? I mean, we're, we're Americans, right? I mean, we, we kind of, you know, we, we, we can do this our own. We don't need outside help. Like, it's the opportunity, uh, play, there's place of opportunity. Like, I can do whatever I want. I can be whoever I want to be. And I can do all these things. And so it's easy to just be like, I in my own power can do this. I don't need anyone's help. Have you ever been someone like that or been around someone like that? Man, I don't need help. This is most wives with their husbands, right? Like, I don't need help. You know, it's like directions. I've learned, though, with directions, I need help. I'm in desperate need of help. Um, I'm one of those people, if I'm in a mall and I go left into a, into a store, and like, you know, we started, we're going this way, turn left in the store. I will always, always, always choose to come out and go right. Every, I'm always wrong. I should just think, I'm going to be wrong, just go the opposite direction. So normally, like, so for instance, if you're like telling me where to go, like, uh, like you're giving directions, just make sure Amanda's there too, <laughs> so you can just tell her, or just thank, I'm so thankful for GPS. <laughs> it's like, I'm very dependent on my GPS. I know Nate's like, because Nate will do this, right? Nate will tell me, like, you turn left on one, you know, hang a, hang a left on 124 and then turn on Georgia 11 or I don't know. I, he just starts naming names. And I'm like, I don't know. I've already lost you. Just tell me exactly where I'm supposed to go and I'll just put it in my GPS. You know, I, I, directionally challenged. And so I've recognized I'm not good at this. Like, I need help. And so I need, whether it's Siri or I need my wife or someone to tell me where I'm supposed to go. But I think this is, I know we kind of joke about this, but I think so many of us, think that we can do it on our own. We think that we don't need help. And we miss the importance of what this psalm is saying. That, and you might be even saying, you know what, but I, I put my hope in something in this life because in, the, in, in their day, their, their strength was in their war horses and like the chariots of iron. And if you remember in Judges, if you're ever reading in Judges, you see that people of Israel are terrified of another nation that has these, these chariots of iron, and they're like, uh-uh. And because the people, they would put their, their, all their chips in the basket of their strength of their army and think that that's where my help's going to come. Or it's going to come in strength and numbers. Ultimately, though, it comes in the Lord. So what's life apart from God's help look like? It looks like it's described in here, where you maybe have experienced the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. But here the transition happens in verse 6, and I want you to look at this, and this is where we see what the Lord's help should lead us to do. What is the, when, when the Lord actually is on our side, what should it lead us to do? And I want you to see these, these brief three things here. What is it? Look at verse 6. He says this, the psalmist is declaring this. He says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. So what does the Lord's help lead us to do? What should it lead us to do? One is this, it should lead us to praise the Lord with a joyful heart. It should lead us 
to praise the Lord with a joyful heart. Look what he says. I mean, the psalm is saying right here, blessed be the Lord. And remember, this is a psalm where it's very repetitive, like where, where one is announcing it and then the people declare it. And so the, the, the psalmist might say, bless the Lord, and the, gr- the collective group would sing together, blessed be the Lord. They would repeat it after one another. And he says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. You see, it leads to a joyful praise of the Lord. When's the last time you've just stopped? You've stopped and you've reflected on how good God actually has been to you. One of the things when, when counseling couples or uh, counseling individuals and they're struggling uh, in an, an area, maybe with, with loving their uh, spouse or a relational conflict, and one of the things that I encourage them to do is, is, is begin to like start, make a list and start thanking, what, what are you thankful for in that person? So for that person that maybe is a frustration or sometimes, or maybe you find yourself getting distracted and, 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 and maybe uh, looking at another person or thinking, oh man, I wish I had that kind of lifestyle. But then what happens when it looks like when you start listing out the things that God has blessed you with? Start thinking about those things. What has God given you? Maybe it is health for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, a job that's brought stability for the first time, maybe in a long time, or maybe it's God has given you these children in your family, or, or maybe it's he's given you the perfect spouse just for you, and being thankful, and maybe writing those things out, and, and letting that, not just be like, man, I'm so, I'm so thankful. No, let it lead to praise to God. Be, be putting your praise to Him. Thank you, God, for what you have given me. Thank you that you have given me this or that. Thank you, God, for the things that I do have. You see, you praise the Lord with a joyful heart. It leads to a place of gratitude for what God has done in your life. So what does the Lord's help, what should it lead us to do? It should lead us to praise the Lord with a joyful heart. But not only does it lead to, uh, to praise the Lord with a joyful heart, it also leads us to an unwavering trust in the Lord. It leads us to an unwavering trust in the Lord. Notice it again here in verse, in verses, uh, verse six through eight. He says, "Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken, and we have escaped." Notice what he says, verse eight. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, this is where my help come from. I'm putting my trust in the Maker of heaven and earth. I'm going to trust in his wisdom, and his discernment over my life. So guess what? You're faced with a difficulty. You're faced with a trial. You're faced with some hardships, some difficult decisions. Maybe you're faced with a temptation for, for a, 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 to pursue something that you know that God doesn't have for you. What happens? Are you putting your trust in the Lord? The make, I mean, he, and he's reminding the people, he who made heaven and earth. If, I mean, let's just think about this. Like, if God can make the starry skies, and to think how vast it is. It's like, why? Like, why put a star in another galaxy billions of, billion, like, like light years and light years and light years away? I mean, we're talking about, I mean, billions or Google, I don't even know how far, and it just keeps going. I mean, as we find telescopes, we have a telescope out in space right now, and it's giving us pictures even further. 
And I think what's just so neat about that is, is the further we expand and the bigger we get a telescope, just the bigger God should become to us. It's like that God would put a random star, I mean, someplace that no one on earth will ever see except maybe because we've now learned how to put a, a, a telescope in this thing to take us pictures and send it back to earth that's millions of miles away so that we could see it and be like, God is huge. It's like, maybe we'll just see one of those one day, and it's like, in English, of course, naturally. Like, it'd be just like, I'm huge. Like, like just way out there somewhere. He's like left some little hints out there. I don't know. But like, as we look at those things, what, this should lead us to see how small we are, but how great God is. And if you're saying, God can put that star and know every one of them by name, do you think he knows what's best for your life? Do you think he knows what you need? You might think you know what you need, but do you know what he, need, what he has for you? David was an example of this. Not perfect, because he's, he's a human. He's not perfect. But over and over again, he put his trust in the Lord. He said, okay, God, I trust you with this. He inquires of the Lord. We just looked at that in 2 Samuel 5. He inquires of the Lord, God, should I go up against the Philistines? Because guess what? Who wants to go up against them if the Lord's not on your side? Over and over again, we see this. And he's saying, and the question, I think, is where are you putting your trust? Uh, in Psalm 20, you don't have to turn there necessarily, but if you want, you can. But in Psalm 20, verse 7, we get this. Um, this is a Psalm of David. So David declaring this truth again. He says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But notice what he says. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He says, you know, you can put your trust in, like, all right, I'm going to protect my family. I got my, I got my armory. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to protect against anything. Or I'm, I've got, you know, I mean, like, uh, at, you know, you might build a bunker in your, in your basement to protect you from an apocalypse or something like that. Ultimately, you can do all you want to on your own. But here's the reality. He's saying is this: some put their trust in what they have, these things or people. Do I have? I put enough people to protect me. Um, you know, like the, all these celebrities have, you know, they've got their posse protecting them. They're going together and they're going to protect them. He says, some put their trust in chariots and horses, but he says, but we will put our trust in the name of the Lord. Why? Because he's trustworthy. Have you experienced how trustworthy God is? Have you ever allowed God to handle a situation? He's God. He's going to handle it. But have you finally said, you know what, I'm going to let go of this God. I've been controlling this. I've, I want my kids to be perfect, and so you're trying to have perfect kids. Guess what? You're not going to have perfect kids, because I don't have perfect kids, so obviously, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> like, my, my kids are not perfect, and I'm a very imperfect parent. I make mistakes after mistake. You know, we, we, we fall short, and you, as you have more life experience, you start to see that. You start to see, man, I'm not as good as I thought I was when I was 20. I thought I was good at everything. I can do anything I want, right? And then quickly you learn, man, I'm not good at this. I need someone else to help in this area. But ultimately, when it comes to what we're going to see next is you can't help yourself. There's not enough in you. You don't have enough oomph in you that's going to allow you to get through certain situations. You need his help. And so what his help should lead us to do is not only to praise the Lord with a joyful heart, not only to put your trust in him, but thirdly is this. Is, is to rest in his victory for us. Rest, again, for a lot of doers, self-made people, is not easy. Resting in what he has done for you can be really hard. You'd think it's easy. It's like, man, I, 
I like taking a nap, you know, or I like just chilling out, or I like taking it easy. Maybe you do in, in certain areas of your life. But here what he's getting at is the Lord has fought, he will fight your battles. I love Exodus 14, 14. When I was going through a difficult season in my life where I felt like people were against me and I've, I, I had inquired of the Lord and we had, I'd gone to the Lord. A man and I had prayed about these different things and we had sought the Lord and we felt like we were doing what was right. I mean, I'm not perfect. I know I'm imperfect and I'm sure motivations weren't perfect as, as perfectly as they should have been. But I felt like I was doing the right thing and I was being honest and truthful. And, but I felt like someone was taking advantage of that and, and, and speaking ill and against something that I had said and what I was telling them. And I felt very opposed by this, and it became a, a big issue. And, and I had a counselor friend that I, I had called. He was, it was one of uh, a pastor friend of mine. I called him, and I was struggling with, through this and, and wrestling with a lot of things. And I asked him, I was like, I mean, I, mean, like, I, I got people who were, who were saying, like, you're in the right. Like, here, you've got a, you've got a blah, blah, whatever, a good case against this person. Like, you should just, you know, fight it, whatever. I had these people telling me these things. But then I had this one person, and he said, he took me to Exodus 14, 14. And here's what he told me. Here's what his advice for me through this situation was. He said, the Lord will fight for you. Here's all you need to do. All you need to do is only to be still. He said, let the Lord fight your battles for you, Eric. Don't try to fight this battle on your own. Let God, like, you have done what's right. You've, done, you've tried to communicate truth listen, if they're opposed to this, they're opposed to this. Whether they have the wrong understanding of it or if they're, they're completely in the wrong. Let the Lord fight your battles for you. And I, 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 I never would say this to gloat in any way, but what I got to watch over the next few weeks and a few months was the Lord over and over again fight for me. It was really one of the most remarkable seasons. Through one of the hardest seasons of my life, it became one of the best seasons of my life because I learned to, to sit back, pray, trust the Lord with something like, okay, God, I, I've been wanting, I want to hold on to this. I want to fight because naturally, right? We want to fight, especially when it's a, a war of words or someone's saying something against you that's not true. And you want to fight that. And here in this moment, I'm like, that's my natural instinct. It's like, you want to fight, right? You want to fight in this. You want to prove your side of the story or prove this situation. And this friend spoke truth to me and telling me about the people of Israel and how they, the God, God was telling them, look, I will go before you. I will fight your battles for you. All you have to do is be still. Just sit back and watch as God fights for you. Here's the reality of this verse, and we see it in the New Testament, is that we're to rest in his victory for us, but so many people are trying to find God. They're trying to get God to accept them. And so they're fighting their, their way through life and saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this sin, and so I'm going to get control of it, and I'm going to work really hard on this aspect of my life, and I'm going to fight, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Or maybe you're like, I, I want to have a relationship with God, and then you're just trying everything. You're like, all right, I'm going to try to read my Bible. Maybe God will love me then, and he'll help me in my life. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attend church. I'm going to serve in an area in the church. Or I'm going to serve in the community. I'm going to be involved in community service. I'm going to be a philanthropist. I'm going to give to, to different organizations and different things. And you're going to try to do all these things in hopes that God will accept you into his kingdom. Scripture tells us that apart from him, we could do nothing. Jesus' own very words in the Gospels and, and John tells us this, apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, we have to abide in the Lord. 
and he will fight your battles for you. Rest in what he has done for you. Listen, here, listen to the words of the psalm again, because this is the dire state they're in. It says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. Next line, I love this line. The snare is broken and we have escaped. You see, you know what is holding so billions and billions of people is sin. The devil has them in their trap. They're enslaved in their sin. They feel caught in their sin and they're entrapped in their sinful ways and they need to be set free. I want to I end with this story. Um, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different stories I could share. I know some in this room could share some, some very tragic stories um, uh, uh, about kids in, in who have been abandoned and left or sitting in an orphan, orphanage. Um, but one of our friends um, uh, that we got to see in person, we've connected through them with Facebook and everything, and he's him and his wife, uh, he's a pastor up in Michigan. And um, they had... Um, adopted from China, like we have adopted from China. They're similar age. Um, and this, this girl was, I think, loved and cared for in the orphanage um, for, for a few years of her life. She had, she'd been in the orphanage, and then a family was set to, an American family was set to adopt her. Well, if, as you may have heard from even from us in telling this story, is when you go, you don't adopt them right away. You get, you, you, you meet them, uh, and then you take the child home with you, and then basically you have a day to kind of decide, am I going to, you will officially adopt them the next day. And so during that day, so like we met, for instance, with Gracelyn, our daughter, uh, we met her like in the afternoon, and then the next day we finalized documents and all those things. We kind of finalized the, the adoption in China of her into our family. Well, uh, during that time, you have, you have an option. You can choose not to um, to continue with the adoption. Maybe there, you just start getting scared, or maybe there's more there than you realize. What, all the different reasons, whatever. Well, I guess the family had chosen not to adopt um, this, this girl, and so she goes back to the orphanage, and um, I'm, I'm a teary-eyed guy, so I'm trying not to on the story, but um, I mean, they just abused her because she wasn't accepted. Because this American family had said, no, we don't want to adopt her, and so they put her in this, like, um, call it like a death closet. Um, they just put her in this dark little closet and just left her there um, with just m- so mistreated, so abused, and the damage that that did to her little mind and her little body. Well, she's trapped in this death closet of a, of a room in this Chinese orphanage. But the great news is, is another family was willing to take her in. And this family that lives in Michigan um, they, they go, they get her, and it is, and I'll tell you, just like it has been for us, it is really hard. Adoption, adoptions is glorious because it's what we see in Scripture. We see God's heart for the orphans. It's the description we have of Christ for us is that he would adopt us into his family. And I can't help but think it's like, is, is when I read a verse like this, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, for us, like what would it have been like if it wouldn't have been, if God wouldn't have opened our eyes at that certain time to adopt and to go through that process. And it's like, it's not random how God led us. I mean, it, like how he led us to Graceland or how for God, God had led this other family in Michigan to this, 
this girl to adopt her out of a very difficult situation. And we don't, and for those that have adopted, it's like, like not as it's not a savior complex, like we're this hero. Our hearts just burn for these kids. Like they're they're so abused and so mistreated. And, and it's like, this, we just want to provide a home for them. And I can't help but think, like, if it had not been where Graceland, our daughter, would be today, if she'd even be alive, or a girl, like, that's sitting in a, a death closet. Obviously, it's named. She's going to die. You know, and, and, and here's the point. Here's how we rest in the victory that God has for us. Because here's what happens. God, we're enslaved in our sin. Scripture tells us as we, 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 we studied Colossians. And right in the middle of Colossians, you get this great picture of how we're enslaved and entrapped in our sin. But Christ came and he says, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to take you out of the fowler snare. The snare is broken. He's going to break that chain. And it happened through Christ, through his death and burial on the cross so that we could be set free. He sets us free, and here's what we do. We rest in Him by faith. We're putting our trust in the Lord. We're putting our hope in Him, that He is our salvation, that He is our strength, that He is our very help and and present help in time of trouble. And as it says here, our help is in the name of the Lord. We're to rest in what He has accomplished on the cross and in the gospel for us. All we have to do is place our trust in what He has done, His completed work on the cross. So here's my question, really it leads to this question, is this, whose side are you on? Are you on the Lord's side? Because that's the place we're going to be. That's where you get this psalm. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Is the Lord on your side? That's my question this morning. Is, is God on your side? Maybe right now you're like, man, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like such opposition is going on in my life. I'm not sure if the Lord is on my side. He actually feels very much the opposite to me. But here's the question. He tells us here, we have escaped like a bird. Listen, the trials can be immense, and maybe even in this life you die, but ultimately he's talking about your soul. He who keeps you, we looked at this in Psalm 121, he who keeps you. He keeps us. He's our guardian. He's our shade on our right hand. I mean, he protects us. But he's, what he's saying in there is he's protecting your soul from damnation and eternal separation from a holy um, God. Rest in his victory for you. You can't earn it. You need his salvation. And if this is true for you, that you've experienced his help, praise him. Praise the Lord for what he's done. I mean, put your unwavering trust in him. So let go of that relationship that you've been trying to control and you've been trying to figure out and say, God, I'm going to entrust it to you, so I'm just going to commit to praying. So maybe what it could be like this week for you to commit to praying for that certain thing that you haven't quite let go of yet, whether it's the job or whether it's a relationship or your children or whatever it is, to let go and say, okay, God, I entrust you. You're a better keeper than I ever could be. You're a better father than I ever could be. I'm going to entrust this to you. I'm going to rest in what you have already accomplished, and I'm going to trust you in this situation. What would that look like this week? What is it maybe that you could be praying for this week and say, God, I give this to you. God, help me to trust you with this. I've been not trusting you with this. I've been holding on to it myself. Or maybe you've never placed your trust in Christ alone for salvation. Put your hope in God. He goes from an enemy to a friend. He adopts you. He takes you out of your enslavement of sin and brings you into his family. This is God, and this is who we worship uh, together. 
I want us to, to, to cl- just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second as, as uh, the team comes up to lead us in the Lord is my salvation. Before we just sing that song, I, I want to encourage you, maybe, maybe in your heart you need to just pray and say, God, I need to let go of this. I'm, I'm entrusting this situation. Or maybe ultimately you're saying, I'm entrusting my soul to you. God, I give you my life. My life is yours. It's not my own. I've been bought with a price. And so you hand over your life, the keys to the kingdom of your life. You say, God, it's not mine to rule, it's yours to rule, and I entrust you with it. Give it over to the Lord. Trust in Him and rest in His victory. I want to pray for you before we sing this song, but I want to encourage you. Maybe you don't need to sing this next song yet. You need to just be praying and talking to the Lord and and handing something over to Him. Or maybe this week it's, He's saying, okay, I'm going to give this up to you, God. I'm going to give this over to you, God. And so I'm committing daily to praying about this and saying, God, I trust you with it. Hand it over. Let God be God. Don't try to be God. Don't play God. You're going to fail miserably. But God never fails. He's on our side. Who can be against us? Let me pray. Father, Lord, we need your help. I thank you that you are our help. What a What a strong statement these verses are that tell us what life could have been like if it weren't for you. Father, I pray for each person. I don't know everyone's heart. Um, I'm so thankful that they're here and in your sovereignty you have each person here who's supposed to be here. And so Father, I pray that you'll do what only you can do and that's through your spirit. Awaken our hearts, open our minds and our hearts and our eyes to your gospel and to your truth and lead us to trust you to put our hope in you because you are our help. I thank you, God, that you are in control. Father, forgive me. I know I can so easily take things into my own hands and go ahead of you or try to go ahead of you. God, forgive me. May I be like David and seek your face and say, God, should I do this or should I not do that? Help us to entrust it all to you. God, I pray for each person here. Maybe their relationship with the Lord has been on rocks for a while. Maybe they feel like they're far from you and they're not experiencing your help, I pray that fresh and anew they would put their hope in you alone. So God, be with us. Help us, Father. Help us to see that you are our salvation and our hope. We love you, God, and we ask this in your son's name.